Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl. All right, welcome to Legally Sound Smart Business. This is Nasser Pasha. And this is Matt Staub. And welcome to our podcast where we cover business news and put in our legal twists and also answer some of your business legal questions that you, the listener, can send to ask at LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. No other comment. <laughs> it sounds like you recorded this at a different time and that's we just throw this in every time because it always sounds the same. I need some variation for future episodes. <laughs> yeah. I know. I like to comment on the intro as well, but I was trying not to this time, but you brought it up. Fair enough. We're going to get into a topic that I know you love, and that's sports. <laughs> I guess it deals with sports, because yeah. so this will be coming out on Monday. I'm sure people have heard this story by now, and it's not like it's a new story because it's been going on for years and years, but the Washington Redskins professional football team for your purposes, just to let you know. <laughs> Obviously, the, it's, it's the Redskins, and that's a term that a lot of people find offensive, especially nowadays. Maybe not back when, you know, in the 1930s when they started, but they've taken a lot of heat over the last couple decades. And, you know, as of this past week, the U.S. Patent Office canceled all the Redskins trademark registrations, saying the name is disparaging. And basically, what this means is anyone's free to use Redskins, you know, in terms of memorabilia, what have you. But I mean, I think there's greater ramifications than just that. Yeah. And this doesn't apply to the logo itself, just the name. So you could name your football team Redskins now, but they may appeal it too. So we'll see. What's interesting about this, and you really have to, this is more on the legal side of things that make it a little fun for us lawyers to look at, but this was a challenge back in 1999 or 92 or something like that. And that was appealed. So the USPTO, they rejected the trademark, but it was appealed by the Redskins. And the reason that the Redskins won at that time was there was this legal theory called latches, which basically just means that you delayed your appeal. They've been using this for years, and so therefore you can no longer try to move to reject this trademark because it's disparaging. But then what happened is the latest iteration of this legal action involves a 18-year-old petitioner who wasn't of age at the time, so could not have brought an action in the first place. So this whole latches theory no longer stands. So it's a very clever legal trick to get this going, but obviously it worked so far. And even though the title of the all these news agencies says that USPTO canceled Redskins trademark, that's true, but it was not on their own accord. It was something that was moved by a third party. Yeah, so pretty crazy loophole. And it's kind of surprising that nothing too serious has happened between now and then. If you pay attention to sports at all, you've just seen this has been going on for years. Like they just take heat constantly from people that are, especially the Native American community, that are just criticizing the use of Redskins because they find it offensive. And there's been other sports teams, maybe more collegiate and you know, NCAA teams that have ended up changing their names because it was offensive to certain people. Well, I think people might be uh, surprised to know that basically any trademark can be challenged because it's disparaging. And that definition of disparaging obviously can change over time as it has now. Maybe, as you mentioned before, may not have been an issue, but obviously now it is. And the same standard of disparagement hasn't really changed. It's just the society and and the cultural sensitivity to that has changed. Yeah. And I think too, an important point that we made towards the beginning was 
you know, this doesn't mean that they have to change their name. Yeah, that's true. The cancellation of the trademark registration doesn't mean the NFL is going to force them to change their name. I mean, they might want to for other reasons, but this, yeah. this doesn't affect that at all. Yeah, all a trademark does is it gives them exclusive right to use that name in the context of their sector of business, which is, I guess, professional sports or professional football, if you want to narrow it down. And so if someone else uses the name and there's some kind of confusion in the marketplace as to who's who, then the Washington Redskins has a right to proceed with action against that other person or company. Trademark 101. So, I mean, I guess we'll see. I still think, I know they have a very long history and they've been around for a long time, but I think we'll see a name change or some sort of alteration in the next however many years. We're going to move on to the question of the day. We have a handful of clients who owe us money. Some are a couple days late. Some are months outstanding. At what point should we sue or at least threaten suit? And this comes from a dentist in Napa, California. I have a specific opinion about this. I think it really depends upon your industry. But here you're a dentist, right? You know, you're going to have a lot of patients. If you have too much AR or past due AR, I think that's a very bad sign that there's something fundamentally wrong with your collections process. And it may even seem like you may not even have a collections process. And the collections process to me it involves everything from the initial bill to how you encourage payment up front or before they leave the office, and then how often you send invoices, how clearly stated those invoices are, and whether you have a process on when you send those invoices automatically after X number of days that they may be late. Like as soon as they're late, maybe send another invoice and then another one at 20 days invoice. And then also whether you want to include late fees in there as well. So I think at the least start with that perspective. So this isn't the first time that someone's written us a question and then instead of answering it, you just bash their operations, <laughs> their operational structures. It's, well, it's true. I mean, because you have to get back to the fundamental problem. Like here, you know, we do this all the time, Matt. We, we, we have clients that have a problem and yeah, as attorneys, we'll deal with that problem. But especially as when we work, we, you know, we work more on a general counsel perspective, looking on the long-term side of things for our clients. We're not going to just solve this, but we have to look at, okay, do we want to get in the business of filing lawsuits to collect from our clients? That's not what you're going to business in. So there has to be ways to prevent this from escalating. And I think that's where it starts. Yeah, I'm, I'm just giving you a hard time. And this dentist is probably the worst business person I've ever met. I think you're, you're an anti-dentite. <laughs> nice Seinfeld uh, reference. Yeah. Well, I guess the, the one thing I would say from a legal perspective too is depending on how big the varying bills are and how late they are, I mean, you can go to small claims court. You know, I would assume that this dentist is not a sole proprietor and they're a corporation. So let's get to the limits of a small claims action, particularly in California. It's kind of interesting. All states have limits on their small claims action of how much you can sue for. In California, they make a differentiation as to whether or not you are an individual or a corporation LLC or partnership. And if you're an individual, you can sue for $10,000 limit. If it's a corporation, LLC, other general partnership, 5000 is the limit. And there's something unique in California too, is that if you're going to sue multiple claims in one year, only two of those claims can be for more than 2500 which means basically if you have a lot of people that owe you money, putting that all in one year is maybe difficult to actually do if they're more than 2500 so you may have to spread them out, and it's obviously very limiting. 
And frankly, one of the reasons is because the small claims courts just gets inundated. And if you have a lot of those cases, then it'll be, uh, at least that's one of the reasons is for a judicial economy. Obviously, you can always still go to normal civil court. You can do that as many times as you want, but... Yeah. These limits actually may sound low, but the individual 10,000 was actually increased from 7,500 in early 2012. And that was a more recent change. And it used to be so that corporations could only sue twice in one year, and that's it. At least in this case, it's a little bit more flexible. They still can only file lawsuits twice in one year for more than 2,500, but basically unlimited for, for less than that. So that gives a little leeway. I guess they want to encourage businesses to not go to small claims court. I suppose I don't. I don't really know the reasoning behind that. I haven't looked into that, but I would suspect it's because they don't want businesses to. Because it's very easy in small claims court to just be brought in. It's very low threshold. So if you have a business like this dentist, just keeps bringing in all their patients to collect money, it may be construed as taking advantage of them because there's so little risk in bringing them to court. All right. Well, I think we ended up actually answering their question despite you criticizing them completely. I, well, actually, we didn't. No, we did. I, I just realized, at what point should we sue, though? I would say this, is that what I didn't add is that I think after the point where the invoice is late, you still have to maybe put forth a demand letter and so forth, especially like Matt said, if you're a corporation, you only have a certain number of shots per year to do this. So you want to make sure that the times that you go to court, it's worth the while and that you don't end up shooting yourself in the foot because you went too soon in a year, you know. And obviously not the ones that are a couple days late. You don't wait for them to become one day delinquent and then <laughs> file a small claims action the next day. Actually, these small claims forms are literally just forms that you download and fill in. So I would just have those forms printed out and have the patients fill them in with their address as they're walking out <laughs> just to like really run it home that if they don't pay that that's the next step. That's what I would do. Yeah, there we go. There's your advice to walk away with. All right. Well, thank you for, I was going to say, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, Keep it sound to keep it smart. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stop. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up to date and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.